We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Welcome, everyone. We're so glad you're with us today. We are here with our Leading for Equity webinar series. I'm Valerie Truesdale, and I have the distinct honor of welcoming you on behalf of AASA. Our Leading for Equity webinar series are provided by AASA to bring to you all to the forefront those challenges in our school systems that are limiting access and or opportunity for children of color and low-income children. We are so pleased to be able to have this program today using the tools of cultural proficiency to lift up equity in chaotic times. And I think all of us would agree that particularly this past week has been a chaotic time in our country and that it is important for all of us to salute each other as educators for courageous leadership during this difficult time. We are so pleased to offer to you all to have a group of individuals with us today who are taking the cultural proficiency leap in their community. With us today are Tim Beekman, principal, an elementary principal, and Valora Yanowski. I hope I said that almost right, at least Valora, who's an associate principal in Eden Prairie, and they are ably led by their associate superintendent, Dr. Stacy Stanley. We've had the honor of working with Stacy several times now to understand her lens of the equity agenda and how it permeates all that they do in Eden Prairie. It's my great honor to introduce to you now, Dr. Stacy Stanley. You all have all of the bios in your materials and you'll have access to all of our slides today, but you all will have such a great opportunity today to learn the story from Eden Prairie. Dr. Stanley. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is so exciting to see how folks are joining us from all corners of the United States. And we even have some folks with us from the Midwest, and that's where we're coming to you from, from Minnesota. Thanks again, Valerie. We just appreciate this opportunity to be able to share a little bit of our story with everyone. And thank you so much to AASA as well for just um, embracing the work that we're doing. We really appreciate it. So you are going to have the opportunity to meet um, just two incredibly stellar leaders um, in just a bit. We're going to take some time to introduce them a little bit later, but I'm going to go ahead and get us started um, in our time together. We thought that we would start by telling you a little bit about Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So Eden Prairie is located about 10 to 15 minutes outside of Minneapolis in the Twin Cities area. And we have definitely experienced um, just growth, robust growth with diversity within our community. And so, you know, in 2000, in the year 2000, nearly 91% of all of our residents were uh, considered white, identified themselves as white. And right now, I just pulled this data the other day, we're down to just over 72%. And that change in um, ethnic diversity um, 
that we see within our city. Actually, we see that within our schools as well. And so we are a K-12 district, comprehensive district. We have about 8,900 students. Um, you see here, I, I pulled out some of the racial demographics. About 55% of our kids are um, white kids and 45% kids of color. Our kids of color identify mostly as black, as Asian and as Hispanic Latino. Now we all know that not, not one of those communities is a monolith. And so there's certainly diversity within our black community. We serve um, Somali families. We serve families from um, who come to us from a variety of, of countries on the continent of Africa. We serve families whose uh, black families who their families have been in the United States for over 200 years. Um, same for our Asian families and for our Latino families. And so, um, we know that the diversity is rich even within each one of those um, student groups. Um, one thing that I that I will say, I'll start by because I'm sure everybody has had this experience. Um, we started our school year out actually um, in the hybrid model. And so um, we have been in a hybrid model where our students are in school for two days a week and then they were live streaming for the other two days a week when they were learning from home. And then our numbers started to climb quite a bit in Minnesota in uh, mid-November. And so we are actually coming off of, at the elementary level, a three-week period right before winter break where our students were in distance learning. Our superintendent has had uh, longevity in the district. Uh, Dr. Swanson has been in the district for almost a decade. He started as our tech director. And we were really fortunate because he had the vision to build a sustainable foundation around technology. And so we have been one-to-one -one since 2013. Um, he had worked diligently to make sure we were, we were building equitable digital practices. So we already had a, a bank of hotspots. And so for the most part, we were able to serve our students as we shifted into distance learning last spring. And then again, in a more robust way this fall, um, we heard from our governor about two weeks ago that um, he was putting together a plan um, that included mitigation factors and testing that is going to allow us to bring all of our elementary kids back. And so we're really excited. They are going to be back with us shortly. So our mission in our district is to inspire each student to learn continuously so that they are empowered to reach personal fulfillment and contribute purposefully to our ever-changing world. We are a mission-driven district. Um, it doesn't matter what programming we're bringing in. It doesn't matter um, what curriculum um, we're purchasing, materials, procurement, um, business partnerships. That mission drives anything that we do. And we have um, three specific foci within our strategic roadmap right now. One is uh, personalizing learning, which you can imagine, I'm sure that everybody has experienced this across the United States, um, what it means to personalize learning, what it means to make learning relevant and meaningful for each one of our students. Um, the one thing, we bring a core planning team together. It's about 30 people, teachers, community members, business members, leaders um, within the district and students. Students play a huge role in our core planning team. And, and back in 2018, we used to say close, close achievement gaps. And what our core planning team members told us, you know, that's not enough. 
we we need to know that you are going to eliminate achievement gaps. And so, or I'm sorry, elim- eliminate achievement disparities. And so um, in 2018, we shift that. And we talk about eliminating rather than closing. And then of course, engagement. And we are looking at authentic ways to engage our students, to really build student voice. Um, but I will, I, I just wanna say one of the things that we've seen with um, the achievement gap, eliminating disparity, we're really proud of our graduation rates. Since 2018, we've increased the graduation rates for our black students by 13.5% to the point where 86.5% of our black students are now graduating on time. Um, for a Latino, Hispanic population, same time frame, 2018 to 2020, we increased by nearly 13%. They're graduating at a rate of nearly 85%. Um, our English learners, we've increased by 17%. We have nearly 60% of our English learners graduating on time. That's not enough, and we're not okay with that. And we are proud that we are making progress. And so we'll be able to share a little bit more with you about district numbers, but wanted to let you know what what that looks like within our district. So our time together, got a little welcome and a little overview of our district. I'm gonna give you an overview of the tools of cultural proficiency, and then you get to get, we, we will get to the um, highlight of our time together. And that is with uh, Principal Beekman and Associate Principal Yunowski and just the amazing work that they're doing um, using the tools of cultural proficiency. So I always like to begin, um, in giving honor to Terry Cross. He is a member of the Seneca Nation. And Terry Cross actually developed the tools of cultural proficiency in 1989, originally to be used in the mental health field with um, students. You know, the language that they used back then was students with um, severe disabilities. I think that it's pretty incredible to think of everything that we're going through right now and the disparities that exist with healthcare um, to think that that the tools were available within healthcare, um, you know, 30 something years ago. And so I, I'd be remiss without mentioning that. Um, but what I will say is um, some of the initial authors um, who began to use the tools of cultural proficiency in education, Dr. Dolores Lindsay, Dr. Randy Lindsay, Kanza, Nuri Robbins, um, they asked, they asked um, Terry for permission to use it. And his direction was, use it and do good with it. And I just have to say that they have done an incredible job. Um, and we're really excited that we can use the tools within within our school community. Um, now those tools are being embedded in districts all throughout the United States. And there now is the Center for Culturally Proficient Educational Practices. So I wanna take some time to just build our knowledge about the framework. Now, this is a conceptual framework. When we say tools, we know that tools are intellectual tools. They're actual, you know, hands-on tools. And these are intellectual tools that move throughout a system and actually become hands-on. And there are four of them. I'm going to talk about the first couple here and then go in a little bit more in depth for the next. The first one is overcoming the barriers. And we say that there are a few barriers that exist within the educational system. One of them is um, the sense of privilege and entitlement. Another one is the unawareness of the need to adapt. And 
what we've come to realize is that in education 20 years ago, we didn't even know the barriers. And so we've come a long way so that we are able to identify the barriers, but this tool is overcoming the barriers. So it's moving us beyond just identifying the barriers that exist in the system and serving marginalized children to pushing that out further to say, what are we gonna do about that? You're gonna hear a little bit about what Tim and Valora are doing to move um, beyond and overcome the barriers. And then there are a set of guiding principles. Um, the guiding principles are like the enduring understandings within the conceptual framework. They are foundational beliefs that a system, an educational system, our district holds that guides any work that we do. Um, we fundamentally believe that people are served in varying degrees by the dominant culture, whatever that dominant culture is at that very moment. And because we believe that, it forces us to continually analyze our thoughts, our processes, our plans to make certain that we are being as inclusive as possible to make sure that our students are thriving in our system. The next two tools, um, the Continuum of Cultural Proficiency is a tool that actually um, Tim and Valora are going to highlight their use of that within the context within their school. And then the essential elements. Now, the Continuum of Cultural Proficiency is a tool that is used to help an organization diagnose, a tool to help an organization assess their efforts, um, and it is very hands-on. And so it allows an organization to look at what are the behaviors that are currently existing, that are living along a continuum, that focuses on um, behaviors that would be anywhere from culturally destructive all the way up to culturally proficient. And we break these behaviors into two sides of a continuum, and we call them healthy side of a continuum, and then we call it the unhealthy side. The unhealthy side are those behaviors that are culturally destructive incapacitating or in a space where we're ignoring them, we're being culturally blind um, to the needs of our, of our students and families and stakeholders. But then on the healthy side of the continuum, we say that, you know, even pre-competence, moving beyond being blind, being destructive, being um, incapacitating as it relates to really service of students, we say that even pre-competence, is, is moving us in a better into a better space. And so that's uh, healthy practices. And then culturally competent practices, which I'm confident that all of you in your districts are talking about. And then cultural proficiency, which we all strive to reach to one day. We know that we are never going to be 100% culturally proficient in serving all of our communities. Um, you will see here in the conceptual framework, and I believe that it was actually dropped into um, the handouts that you're able to open that as well in, in the chat there. You'll see that the um, barriers, they serve to help um, foster unhealthy practices. But what's most important is the guiding principles, they really help us to foster those healthy practices to really allow us to identify what are the what are the actions, what are the protocols, what are the practices, what are the policies that we want to put in place that are going to make sure that all of our students are thriving in our system. And then finally, the essential elements. These are our action steps. We want to make sure that all the time we are assessing cultural knowledge, verifying whether or not, you know, do we truly value diversity, you know, in a system, um, 
inevitably, when you have a diverse microcosm, you know that you're going to have conflict. And managing the dynamics of difference is just that. It's really being um, proactive and really thinking about what type of conflict might arise um, as we're working to better serve all of our students and then preparing for that, really digging into that change management around that. And then also, um, how are we adapting to diversity? So, so again, we know in Needham Prairie that we have we are serving more children of color than we ever were. We're serving more linguistically diverse students than we ever have before. And um, how are we adapting to that? Or are we expecting them to assimilate into the current dominant system? Well, when we use the guiding principle that says people are served in varying degrees by the dominant culture, that forces us to look beyond assimilation and really look toward inclusion. And then finally, institutionalizing cultural knowledge. So um, all of the information that we've garnered over the past nearly a year, it's hard to believe we've been in this pandemic for almost a year, but all of the information that we've garnered, um, first of all, the, the bright light that was shown on the inequities that live within our educational system, that we, we, we probably knew were there, but it, it just illuminated them to the nth degree. What have we learned from that? And what are we gonna do to make certain that when everybody is, when, when we have enough people vaccinated, when we're back into the system where all of our kids are able to come to school um, every day, that we don't go back to what we called the normal, but that we see that as abnormal and that we create a new normal and that we institutionalize the things that we've learned to help to better help our kids. For instance, in Eden Prairie, we have, like I said, it had technology in our system for a really long time. In the past 10 months, our teachers have stepped up and they have taken the use of technology and learning to an entirely different level where students are highly engaged in breakout rooms. Students are interacting when they're in the classroom with their peers who are at home through the use of technology. We wanna harness that and we want to continue to be able to, to utilize that. And that is what institutionalizing that cultural knowledge is, is all about. So I pulled out here just the continuum because I want you to get your eyes on it a little bit more because again, um, Tim and Valora are gonna talk to you about how they're using that continuum within their context. I really like this continuum. It comes from um, the text Culturally Proficient Leadership. The journey, the personal journey begins within and it's specific about leadership behaviors and where do our leadership behaviors, regardless of what role any of us holds right now in our system, how do, where do our leadership behaviors live on the continuum? You know, are we leading in a manner that we seek to eliminate the cultures of others? Are we, are, do we seek to say, no, you absolutely cannot use your home language in my classroom. You will absolutely not use your home language when you're coming to a parent meeting. That's okay. You'll you'll begin to catch on eventually. Or do you go to the to the healthy side of the continuum and are you actually bringing in interpreters? Are you actually harnessing the use 
allowing teachers to harness the use of that home language in the classroom, because we know that when students can use utilize their home language to help them transition into English, that it really helps them to thrive. You know, another question I would say is, you know, are we living on the unhealthy side of the continuum as leaders? You know, really saying that we don't really see the difference that exists in our community. Kind of ignoring it, not necessarily intentionally to be harmful, but because we believe that that's what we should do. Um, knowing that the very essence of who our kids are, who our families are, the languages they speak, their, their cultural norms, their ways of being, knowing that that is such an important part of who they are. Um, and when we when we move into blindness, that really is us really saying that um, we don't appreciate what they bring to the table and the gifts and talents that they bring to the table. Or are you consistently seeking out the multiple perspectives, the missing narratives, the missing voice that has not been at the table so that you can help your organization thrive? Well, that continuum of cultural proficiency really helps us to really start to specifically list the behaviors that are living within our organization, and then take those behaviors and make the decision that we are only going to focus on those behaviors that live on the healthy side of the continuum. It allows us, again, to diagnose, right? Diagnose where we are within the system, and then make some commitments so that we're only going to live within the healthy side of the continuum. Um, it also creates a space where it becomes a third point. So it's no longer me when I'm working with our principals saying, you know, Mr. Beekman, I'm really concerned because I'm seeing X. When I'm out and I'm talking with principals, we're constantly using the language of the continuum. When we see practices in the classroom, if we, you know, just practices within our leadership team, we're asking ourselves, we're having that deep conversation. Where did that decision live? Did it live on the healthy side of the continuum, the unhealthy side of the continuum? And more importantly, if it was on the unhealthy side of the continuum, what can we do to overcome that barrier that had us there to move us to the healthy side of the continuum? Now, I am really excited. This is, this is what I'm so excited for, is to give you an opportunity to really get to know Principal Beekman and Principal Yunowski and the incredible work that they're doing. Um, Tim has been in our district for 29 years. He started as a teacher. He moved up within the ranks. He became a teacher leader. He became a curriculum coordinator, associate principal, and then he became the principal. And then Valora, she, you would think that Valora had been in our system for the past decade. It feels like she was just meant to be here. Um, and we were so fortunate to be able to bring her into what I call the Eden Prairie family um, uh, just this past year. So um, without further ado, I'm going to let, um, let you get to know Tim and Valora and their amazing work. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Stanley, and, and thank you to um, Valerie and Kelly and Regina for all of your help and support getting us ready and uh, set up for success for this webinar today. Uh, it is such a pleasure to get to share our story of Eden Prairie and uh, uh, what we're working on here at Eden Lake. And I also just want to say it, I agree with Dr. Stanley that having Valora join us this year has been an amazing add addition to our to our staff and community. So thank you, Valora. All right. Thank you, Tim. 
All right. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, background about Eden Lake. Eden Lake is one of our six elementaries that we have in Eden Prairie. And you had a little chance to see about who we are in that video. Well, I really want you to see this, this um, comparison of Eden Lake's demographics to our overall demographics. Um, you know, I, I have several different uh, numbers up there. I will have to say that because this is my 29th year here in Eden Prairie, I started out as a first grade teacher uh, in 1992. And as a biracial child from a transracial family, I did start out my career here looking like, wow, I think I am the diversity here in Eden Prairie. And over the past 29 years, we have really seen a change in our racial demographics, our socioeconomic demographics. And I look out at our school today and I'm just loving the rich tapestry that we have in Eden Prairie and in all of our schools. So, you know, you can see that with our 8,900 students district-wide and the breakdown of our different racial groups, comparing that to Eden Lake, we are more diverse than our district population as a whole. I also have two different numbers up there, kindergarten through sixth grade uh, here at Eden Lake, all of our elementaries. And typically, before we went into our hybrid or distance learning models because of the pandemic, Eden Lake was right around 818 students coming from 400, 545 different family systems. This year, because of uh, COVID and, and making sure that we had options for our families to consider to do full-time online learning, we did have a number of our families go to that option. So this year, we're sitting right around 596 kindergarten through sixth grade students, and this year coming from 422 family systems. And once again, there's our breakdown of our racial categories at school. The reason I feel it's so important to talk about the number of our students and the number of family systems is that not only do we talk about different cultures and backgrounds and opportunities and experiences, but when you have that many different households sending their children to our school, we need to be explicitly clear and intentional on how we can make Eden Lake a community that works for every person coming into our school. In addition to that, we have 125 staff members bringing in their own backgrounds, perspectives, experiences. And so once again, we do so much work as an Eden Lake community to make sure that we are strategic and focused and honoring all of those different components of personalities and people coming into our school each day. Um, you know, you had a chance to see a little bit about our um, our school through that video and some other pieces that we do here at Eden Lake, because once again, when you have that many students coming from that many different family systems, we want to figure out how can we work together to embrace all of the, the, like I said, rich tapestry coming into our school, talents and interests and passions. So we do a lot of service learning here at Eden Lake. We find ways that we can give of ourselves, our time and our talents so we can help those outside of our community as well as in our school. So some of our service learning projects that we do, K-6, uh, right around, you know, with Special Olympics and um, Unified Schools, we've raised $20,000 to go to that Special Olympics fund promoting uh 
unity within our schools. We do service projects of tying uh, fleece blankets for our children's hospital. Uh, we create placemats for our local nursing homes. We do food drives and item donations for our local food shelf. We also uh, are an Eagle Pride school with our PBIS, Positive Behavior Interventions and Supports, and we also focus on being safe, responsible, and kind. That does drive everything we do in our school, not only safety around physical safety, but safety to take a risk, safety to make a mistake, be able to speak up if you have a different opinion, but we practice and model how we do that in a positive way. I've realized over my career that sometimes we might automatically just go to the child. Oh, they didn't get it because he or she didn't do this or didn't have, you know, they didn't listen enough or whatever. And really what we find out is that's on us as the adults, that maybe we haven't set the foundation, the clear expectations. They should not have to guess and navigate what one classroom needs to do compared to another. So that's why our PBIS work has been such a grounding foundation, because we know that all of our children need to know and have the same common expectations. And once they know that, then we can really hook into their learning and take them great places. We also want to make sure that our students and families see themselves within our school. So we want to make sure we could get their insight, their input. They've helped us pick our school colors, helped us pick our some of our playground equipment. Uh, we have student ambassadors. We have buddies across all grade levels to help our sixth graders, help our kindergartners in FIAD classes and you know, build those relationships. And then we also really want to look at how do we set up all of our kids for success by really tapping into their talents and interests with designing pathways or our learning environments. So we talk about, you know, we all have differences in how we learn best. So what can the environment look like to set up a safe learning space? Flexible seating. We want to make sure our students have input with that. We want our teachers and staff to be reflective of our own practices. So when we do bring in new furniture, it's not the latest and greatest furniture. Yeah, that's nice. But really, the point is, how does that environment and my instructional practice change so we can set up our students to be successful when they leave outside of our school to be contributing members to this ever-changing world? So we really look for ways to promote and create environments that create the four C's and really be able to focus on being creative, collaboration, uh, work on their communication skills, and be critical thinkers. This uh, Recently this week, we had an opportunity to have a conversation and parent panel with our incoming kindergarten families that will join us in the fall. Those kids coming in next fall will be the graduating class of 2034. Sometimes I have to like, am I going to be around? I hope so. But when you think about, wow, what is that world going to be like in 2034? Think about how much has changed within this last year. Got us out of the box of education. We have to do things differently. We can no longer sit still and just say, oh, we're fine. We need to overcome so many barriers, and that's the work we're doing. So we are really trying to continue to promote different ways that we can improve our practice so that way we can be there for our students and set them up for success. Great, thanks, Tim. Oops. 
Our, when I came into Eden Lake, um, I came in during a very unusual time. And uh, some people said, Laura, you are crazy to switch jobs and go into a new associate principal job in a new district um, during the middle of a pandemic. And I thought, why not? I think it's the perfect time to do it. And I've been so welcomed and I've been so um, amazed at the tenacity and grit of the teachers, staff, and students here at Eden Lake. I've been so fortunate to join Eden Prairie Schools with the such a strong commitment to equity and eliminating achievement disparities. So coming into Eden Lake, uh, there was already a continuous school improvement plan in place, but we refined it a little bit this year. Uh, we have a uh, four words that are kind of grounding us this year as our theme, and they are equitable, intentional, streamlined, and focused. And everything that we do is under that umbrella. So coming in this year, we uh, the, our group of leadership, our team leadership leads uh, came together and um, we really looked at the SIP and we thought, what do we need to do to make this equitable, intentional, streamlined and focused in this uh, very unusual year? And we whittled it down to two primary strategies. Strategy one being to build strong relationships with one another and our learners. And strategy two being to create and promote learning opportunities that are deeply personal for all students. So with that, uh, we have uh, the team developed action steps. So action steps meaning how will we do this? They also developed key indicators of progress. So how do we know that we are doing it? And then the evidence. So how do we know that it's actually working? So another interesting thing about the Eden Prairie Schools this year is that we are also in our year one of implementation of a new reading curriculum. So um, literacy education is my jam. It's my background. And I was really, really excited to come into uh, to a district who is um, risk taking to implement during a pandemic. We have to be one of the few districts in the country to go ahead with the uh, uh, with curricular adoption plans for this year. And what struck me when I came here in August was um, the teachers who were so excited to implement the resource. So what Eden Prairie did when they chose this resource is last year was a very intentional rollout. In the year uh, 1920, there were um, K-6 team um, leads who implemented. So somebody in every building at every grade level implemented the resource last year. And sometimes that can go either way. I've been in, in districts where, you know, the thought was let's not pilot just in case people don't like it. And then there's this narrative out there. And um, so coming in, I was really curious to see how uh, teachers would be responding. And Every single teacher that I spoke to was so excited because they'd heard such wonderful things about the people in their grade level who had already been implementing. So again, I want to remind you, uh, Dr. Stanley read our mission at the beginning of, um, of our program, but our mission here at Eden Prairie is to inspire students to learn continuously so they are empowered to reach personal fulfillment and contribute purposely to our ever-changing world. And we know that this begins and ends with a foundation, strong, strong foundation of literacy. So I mentioned the phase rollout. This has also come with very strong support from our personalized learning department, as well as the teachers who have piloted this program last year are then serving as teacher leaders this year. And I should go back and mention that 
when this program or these resources were chosen a couple of years ago, the focus really was to choose a resource that would focus on culturally relevant materials and texts and a material system that would help teachers identify not just what needs to be taught, but how to best teach it in our focus of promoting deep understanding of text and critical thinking opportunities for in both reading and writing for students. So of course, along with implementing a new reading resource that comes with the need for professional development. Our personalized learning department is doing a fantastic job of um, really shepherding us through this monthly and providing the leads who implemented last year with continual learning so that they can then also serve as those teacher leaders for their peers this year. At the same time, uh, the leads, the data leads and the team leads at every um, grade level are going through what's called a data assessment literacy course, where we are really refining our understanding of how to use data to make instructional decisions uh, to meet the needs of our learners. Then these leads are leading their own teams through this professional uh, learning, and truly it is changing our instructional practices. So we have these really exciting things going on here at Eden Lake and in Eden Prairie. But of course, then the next step is to make sure that we are not siloed and we don't have reading here and equity here. We really need to ensure fidelity of implementation of our new program across the classrooms and reading. Um, so our district created look fors uh, that will serve as evidence that our reading instructional goals are being met. But here at Eden Lake, because we are committed to eliminating achievement disparities, when Tim and I really thought about how do we make all of this back to equitable, intentional, streamlined, and focused, we realized that we needed to make sure that our literacy work and instruction aligned with the cultural proficiency continuum and that it would be informing our instruction. Thank you. So now, here is how we have been applying the work that uh, we wanted to set up a little bit more of the background. And now we're coming back to the continuum that Dr. Stanley spoke about earlier. So I also want to make sure I thank Dr. Stanley for bringing in the, the tools of cultural proficiency into Eden Prairie Schools when she arrived three years ago. You know, I can speak for myself that... Um, you know, using the language and hearing the language of healthy and unhealthy, uh, that just doesn't happen to have people be comfortable with that. You know, once again, I come back to all of the different family systems that we have coming into our school. And then as a staff, all of our own individual upbringings and backgrounds and how did you handle things that were uncomfortable and what kind of language did you use? So we have been really strategic and intentional about how we have been rolling out and learning about the different components and guiding principles of the culturally proficient continuum. So early on in, in our journey with this several years ago, we really wanted to look and see what are those attributes of something that we would consider unhealthy or on that culturally destructive side? And then what are the things that we need to make sure that we are moving towards so we live on that right side or that healthy side of the continuum? We started out with something, you know, like we do where we're kids with our students that we wanna make sure that you hook new learning to some things that they're already familiar with. No different for me as an adult learning learner and for the rest of our staff. So we applied those the, the tools, of, tools of cultural proficiency to something as simple as 
how do we do our placement procedures in the spring when we are putting kids into the grade level for the next year? What are the things that we're saying and hearing? What are those assumptions, uh, those low bar beliefs or those high bar beliefs? And who gets that when we talk about our kids and how they are going to be grouped together for the next year? So we really had a lot of opportunity to talk about the language that we use and our systems and, and are there barriers in the way we have been doing our placement process that, that we really need to overcome? Other ways that we've started to work on this too and layer it on with other practices is some schools are, have looked at this and how do we do our parent-teacher conferences? What would something be on the unhealthy side? What is healthy? Uh, we've done it with communication as we moved into our distance learning and full-time distance learning and also hybrid models. What are those unhealthy and healthy practices for expectations with using your camera or with your uh, chat features? All of those things, we're purposefully talking about it and making sure that we are setting everybody up for success. Uh, another thing that, once again, I'm going to use me, keep it local and personal, that um, Sometimes it's hard to reflect on yourself and when something's not working well to get to the point and say, hmm, what am I not doing? What should I be doing differently? And not put it on the child that, oh, they're not getting it or if only this family would do this. So we've been spending a lot of time as a district working with a wonderful consultant, uh, education consultant, Tamika Fuller, who has really helped bring the language into our system around problems of practice and problems of performance and highlighting with our staff, like really, what can we look at as our problem of practice? What barriers are we as the adults getting in the way? Where are we not aligned? So once again, our students have to navigate and figure out what does this mean in this grade level compared to this grade level or this learning environment compared to this learning environment. That's up to us to set the foundation and the system for them that they don't have to navigate that. So we've been doing a lot of work around the problem of practice and problem of performance as well. So the document that you see here is just a snippet of where we are as we're moving into our next stage. It's much longer, but we wanted to highlight kind of the end product that we're using uh, as we go into our learning rounds or classroom visits. You'll see that we are trying to tie in the different components that once, yes, we had to learn about ELA look-fors, we had to learn and work on our key indicators of progress, and we had to learn about our culturally proficient continuum and those behaviors and elements. Now our job as the instructional leaders and support system is to help people see the connections and tie-in. So this year, more than ever, as we had to get out of the box for education with the pandemic and go to full-time distance learning and then hybrid and back and forth, we were still going to continue our work with the continuum. So we started with something that we've been using for the past couple of years and now layering onto it our ELA look-fors, key indicators of progress. So Valori, do you want to talk a little bit about how we started out? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, it's been such a great tool to marry these, um, like like Tim said, to use something that the teachers were familiar with and then to layer this so that it really is integrated into our instructional practices every single day. So I'm going to go um, left to right on that document that's shown there. You can see the look-fors. Um, th those were actually given to us, uh, determined by our personalized learning department. 
They were broken into four key goal areas. Um, you can see in the light blue box there, we highlighted effective facilitation. There's about uh, seven, eight elements underneath that um, that umbrella. We chose to begin with effective facilitation because it is not specific to ELA. And so every teacher in our school can uh, focus on effective facilitation techniques when they are instructing. Um, the team leads then led the work in their grade levels and their departments to align the look for elements to our school improvement plan. After that, they used the continuum to determine um, the healthy and unhealthy practices of that element and what that would really look like in their, class, in their, um, in their grade levels and in their classrooms. So that actually took a couple of different meetings. We started this work with them back in early November on a professional development day, and they worked on this um, in their teams, really um, drilling down into looking at, using the continuum, what would be a healthy example and an unhealthy example of what that element could show up like in their classrooms. Um, after that, Tim and I then synthesized what the common healthy practices uh, were across the grade levels into this final document. And we made the intentional decision to highlight just the healthy practices on the document. And then finally, the leads, we turned it back to the leads and they came up with the if-then statements, which really lift up the purpose of the equitable practices. So our next step now is going to be engaging in learning rounds. We have a, uh, we've developed also a walkthrough tool that is based upon the healthy look fors. And when we go and start to do our learning rounds, we're going to be able to really highlight and focus in on looking for those healthy practices with um, keeping in mind that the absence of healthy practices is also telling us something as well. Thank you. Um, you know, and we so we really wanted to have that balance of ownership of the staff. So we saw our Valora and my job, along with Dr. Stanley, as we looked at this work, and then our instructional excellence coordinator, Tova, who is fantastic, to really set up a system and opportunity for teams to really have those conversations. It's not only important for the grade level teams, PLC teams, but we have multiple teachers in title intervention, ELL, GT, that work with kids across multiple grade levels. And they also need to make sure that they are using the same language and have the same expectations no matter where a child is we should not have barriers, once again, where they have to navigate. And so uh, we really needed to give them the opportunity to have those conversations. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What have I actually heard and didn't have the language to say, wow, that is just not a healthy thing to say or believe about kids. How do we really check ourselves and have those high expectations so that we really can meet those outcomes and achieve those goals to eliminate disparities by 2023, which is not that far away as those, you know, 2021 and you think it's so far away, but no. Um, you know, so we wanted that balance of ownership and conversations, but yet we couldn't keep just giving people a chance to roll it out and come back and roll it out and come back. So that is why uh, Valora and I did take the time along with uh, guidance from Dr. Stanley and Tamika Fuller to like, what are those equitable look for's that would really sit on that healthy side? And that is why we have in that column, those bullet points. So now we can say as a school, these are the healthy, equitable practices 
that we will be looking for. And as Melora said, then the team leads job was to create those if then statements. Now, some of you might be asking, well, why don't you still have the unhealthy side listed on this document? And yes, and that's a valid question. And, you know, but this is intentional. We, we do have a longer document that really did highlight all of those unhealthy practices. And it was really interesting to see all the commonalities that people had talked about. And then also the commonalities of the positive healthy behaviors. Well, just like PBIS work that we really focus on our positive behavior supports and interventions of being safe, responsible, and kind, highlighting what we want to see. We practice, we model, we're intentional. We come back to it after several weeks or a break from school and like, let's do it again. We highlight what we want to see, which is why we are intentionally saying, these are the healthy practices, equitable practices we will see. And that's why we kept it healthy. And as Valora already stated, that if we don't see them as we go into our learning rounds and gather that evidence and compare, then we know that there's still some healthy, unhealthy areas that will help us guide our professional development. So our next steps will be starting our classroom visits or learning rounds, and it will be Valora and myself and Tova, our instructional coordinator, to do that initially. But Eden Lake is not uh, filled with people who aren't used to going in and observing their, their peers uh, in their classrooms. We're a very open door policy. And what we realized a couple of years ago too is that the, the teachers who work with kids across all grade levels, seven grade levels, they have that opportunity to go in and support kids, co-teach, and then from kindergarten all the way through sixth grade. We really realized, and this was a problem of practice that came up from our PLC leads when we were looking about what is our problem with alignment? Where are these gaps? And it came from the team to say, I don't really know what's happening in another grade level. I might think I do. I know that person as a teacher and a person, but I don't really know the instruction. So we introduced learning rounds, just like in the medical field, you go around as a group and you, you observe, you take notes, you talk. We are doing that in class two with, as the staff. So, but for this purpose, we are going to start using this tool, the three of us, and then the eventual goal will be that we will take teams around to use the same look fors and be able to use the language that if we see this, if we do this, then this is going to happen. Dr. Stanley. So now you see why I am so excited to be working with um, these two principals. And I had an opportunity, Tim and Valora, to be really checking in with some of the attendees. And, and they're just pretty impressed with your work um, as well as I am. So, you know, here's some key takeaways that we want you to get. And then we want to have the opportunity to answer some of your questions as well. So what we want you to really take away and know and understand about the tools of cultural proficiency is that they allow us to keep our eyes on the prize of serving our babies. I say babies, whether they are four or whether they're 21, they're still babies in my mind. Um, serving our babies and especially our marginalized babies. We know that this pandemic has hit black and brown children the hardest, and we had to keep our eye on the prize. And the, the tools allowed us to do that. Um, really, the tools allow us to stay student focused, right? To really hone in and focus on the needs of students in the midst of 
all of the experiences that the adults in our system, like your system, were going through. It allows us to really hone in and focus on the work that we're doing through an asset-based lens. So again, we're not admiring the barriers anymore. We are working to overcome the barriers. We're not pretending they don't exist. We know they're there, but we are working to overcome the barriers, to use that tool of overcoming the barriers. Um, I hope you heard. We hope you heard. There is a bias toward action when you use the conceptual framework for cultural proficiency. There is not a space to, to be stagnant for a long time. There's a space for learning and for growth and for development, but not a space for being stagnant. And then finally, it the tools really help us to build capacity within our staff. Tim had talked about that idea of um, ownership of the work. You know, um, Carolyn McGander, she... Um, actually used to work for cognitive coaching. And, and I remember sitting in a session with her several years ago, and she said, you know, when we talk about buy-in, staff buy-in, she said, that's not what we need. We need staff ownership because we're not trying to sell anything to our staff per se. We're really trying to build capacity through distributed leadership. And so the tools of cultural proficiency really allow us to build that capacity through distributed leadership. So we just really want to thank you for having the opportunity to share with you some of the work that we are doing within our system to help serve all of our students and really build a system of equity and personalized learning, eliminate achievement gaps, and engage all of our uh, stakeholders. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you, Dr. Staley and Tim and Valora. Amazing. I want to go to this school. The community-based <laughs> activities and the commitment, Valora, that you all described for rolling out literacy despite a pandemic. Good for you. Good for the courageous leadership. And thank you for sharing all of this, Dr. Stanley. It's clear that your leadership permeates. One of the questions we had was about training of staff. Do you want to talk a little bit more, team, about the asset-based model and how you began to build that district-wide so that you had buy-in? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when I came in three years ago, I, I, first I have to say Eden Prairie Schools had done an amazing work and deep work around equity. So I didn't walk in the door three years ago to a blank slate. Um, and we were in the, the place where we really needed to move to a systems focus. And so we started with, with the cabinet level. I firmly believe that if you do not have um, those who are leading um from the cabinet level, deeply trained and prepared to help support all of the leaders that are working with them, then it's not going to change your system. So we started at the cabinet level, we moved to um, um, principals and associate principals and coaches and teacher leaders um, to make certain that we had a strong foundation and then leaders brought that out to their departments. It isn't just our schools, it's our transportation department you know, our, our um, nutrition services, it's every department in the system that wraps around our, our accounting department. Everybody is using continuum, uh, the con continuum of cultural proficiency in their way, in their department to make sure that they can make a difference for our students. Anything you'd want to add, Tim or Valora? Yeah, I, you know, it, even with our ELA, uh, 
implementation, um, all of us as instructional leaders of principals, coaches, we're going along with the professional learning. We just had a two hour meeting last night because we know it's important for us to really understand and be in the trenches and really be able to speak to what we're seeing and hearing. And so the rollout to be able to learn as a professional team of administrators around the culture proficiency continuum aspects and, and um, guidance really did help us then figure out how do we apply that in our own professional learning with our staff because we know that every school is made up of a different group of people and so we could as Stacy said you know it's happening in our food service it's happening in our transportation it's happening in all levels of our schools and we can really apply it to what our needs are based on kind of where are those major barriers for this particular place that's how we can focus. And, it, you know, and it, it takes time, but we can't shy away from those, you know, sometimes those uncomfortable conversations are really highlighting that this is a problem because we are not hearing from certain families or we're hearing too much from other families and who's driving that narrative. And I can't say enough about just being able to share personal stories. When you can talk about your own experience going through a school, I myself you know, I became an educator because I didn't love school. Many people do love school, and that's why they also became a teacher, and they wanted to emulate that. So when you can talk about that and apply these to your own personal experiences, that's what I've found has been powerful to help move people around um, as, as we go. Valora, anything you want to say? I would just build upon that and echo that. I would say that there is such an integrated um, approach here in this district. Uh, like uh, Dr. Stanley said, um, all of our departments are involved in this work and everybody comes together into this um, incredible learning journey together. So it's just been so gratifying. The team and personalized learning, they're so accessible. I've learned so much and um, it really is like we're all in one journey. I certainly applaud you all for your cohesiveness and your collaboration, it's obvious that you have not just great respect, but that it carries over into the model that you set for students. Dr. Stanley has um, graciously offered to share the continuum for assessment and data use with our attendees today. So we'll get that and send it out with um, the recording. One of the things that we want to call to your attention is that as I mentioned in the beginning, we offer these Leading for Equity webinars each Thursday evening. And coming up for the 121 on January 21st, our Leading for Equity webinar is about supporting students and staff mental health through a community of wellness. And we have a very large group of individuals who will be sharing with you all the mental health tragedy that we have going on in our country right now. You know, with isolation, all of the worries about students and staff's feelings of being disconnected from others has exacerbated it. So please do join us. And we are just trying to build it at AASA to lift up our children in this chaotic time and beyond by increasing our cultural proficiency because the pandemic has certainly exacerbated the conditions with which our children struggle within our schools. I want to thank Dr. Stanley and Mr. Beekman and Ms. Yanowski, thank you all for what you're doing. Thank you all for presenting to us in the middle of a snowstorm. Yeah. Please um, don't, don't be too late getting on the roads. Thank you, everybody, for sharing with us today. God bless you. Be safe and be strong and be healthy. Bye, thank everyone. You. Thank you. Bye.
We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.